it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, another Therapy Tuesday. Sorry about that, folks. Not what I like to do either, but it's important work. You know that, and it's free. So get on your couch, I'll open up my notebook, and we'll see if I can help you get through this. There's a lot of mail here, so let's get to it. We're going to start with Mike who wants to know how long will they stick with Heineke if he continues to struggle? Will they want to see Allen to see more of him if the season slips away? Well, Mike, they already know what they have in Kyle Allen. So they don't need to see more of him to know what they want, what they have going forward. They need to get another quarter. They need to get a top quarterback. They know that. So seeing more of Kyle Allen, isn't the reason they go to him. It's more about, do you still think Heineke can improve this season? And this week, Rivera said they're not making any changes. They still think Heineke is growing. He pointed to a handful of plays as to how areas that maybe Heineke can improve in the more he sees. He is an older quarterback at 28, but he's very young in terms of starts and play time. So in other words, they're not making a change at this point. Not sure how much one would help. It certainly would give them a different look. Maybe Allen would give them a little bit of a boost for a game or two. But the feeling internally is that Heineke is a very low-end starter and a high backup. I know that they. I don't know that they view Allen the same. Let's see what they say a week from now if there's another bad game in Green Bay. Because then, again, at some point, like you, like you may make a change. Whether or not you think he's a lot better, maybe you make a change to see if something does work better. I also think that Ryan Fitzpatrick goes back in once he's healthy. The hard part for me is that the weapons I thought Fitzpatrick would have have not materialized. Deami Brown is way too inconsistent, and Curtis Samuel's growing, of course, has been a season-long issue. Also, Fitzpatrick has one half of game experience in this offense, so it will take him a minute to get going. But I do think he'll go back in when healthy because he's still he would still be certainly nothing as he'd be the best quarterback on the roster. Brian Payne, where do you see the team in the, in the overall rebuild process? Do you think Washington is interested in selling off any players in trade for extra draft capital? Chris at DC2GS also wondered about where the rebuild was at. <clears throat> so I wanted to include it both here. I don't see a lot of guys who would command much in a trade that they'd want to get rid of right now. Maybe somebody like Tim Settle, whom they know would be very, very difficult to resign. He'd probably bring back a lower round pick since he's a free agent. Comes from a position of good depth, though. Otherwise, who? Nobody's going to trade for Landon Collins because of that contract. And then who else? Deron Payne or Montez Sweat? Those are the guys you're trying to keep around. Though in the future, the ability to do that will depend on if they get a rookie or a veteran quarterback because of the contract involved. As for where they're at in this rebuild, well, and Chris want to know if they're behind. I think I do. This is not where they thought they'd be. They thought the defense would be much better. They thought they'd be further ahead. Now, if they were three and three, you'd probably say, okay, they probably done what they should, but you would have wanted them to look a little bit better in some of those games against better teams. But as far as where they're at and where they think they're at, in the offseason, what I would hear, and before the season, it was the same, they felt they were another year or two away from being in a prime contender spot in the NFC, not just the East. 
I said that a few times in the podcast as well in relation to why they weren't more aggressive finding a better quarterback solution. But I do think like as far as where they're at, where they're going, so much is going to depend on how they play in the second half of the year. And if a lot of those young guys develop, guys, not just the rookies, but even guys like Chase Young. Chase Young, as uber talented as he is, is still learning to play that position. So I think there's still some room for growth in players that they have. But that's where you'll know where they're at in the rebuild. If they finish strong and have some better showings against better offenses, you know, I think you'll feel a little bit better because I think offensively it's going to be still up and down because I just don't think they have the horses right now um, and the quarterback play to do a whole lot to do that well. Pedro Smith wants to know, um, how concerned am I about Gibson's injury? Seems like one that could linger. I'm certainly a little bit concerned. He came out of the game twice on Sunday in a week after they said he was doing more in practice. Now, again, they're not hitting in practice, not like he was getting worn down um, from that, but he was able to do more. This has been a lingering issue. The fear is always what else happens because of it. Could It could lead to some issues with this calf as well. And I know, so I think, yes, I'm a little bit concerned. We don't know yet the results of his MRI. That will tell us more. My concern is that it does seem to limit his workload, which isn't exactly light, but they probably want and need more from him. That means for me, a little bit more Jared Patterson and a lot more of J.D. McKissick. I was mildly surprised that they cut Peyton Barber because they could use a guy like him now. But if you keep Patterson as your third back, it can't just be for developing him. It's got to be a guy that can help now. So if Gibson needs a little rest, you need to give Patterson more carries. Let's see if he can get into a flow with, with some of his runs and a rhythm. The offense needs to be powered by the run game right now. Anthony Ray Katz wants to know if, if we're locked into 23 and 29, meaning Jackson and Fuller, because of financial commitment, how does the secondary improve next year? Well, by drafting another corner of safety, I'd have no problem drafting another corner because I feel they need one and you can always have a lot. I also like how Benjamin St. Juice has progressed. So that should help down the road. See where he continues to go. Kendall Fuller, if they cut him, believe it or not, they could save nearly $5 million in the cap if he's released before June 1st. So they can move on from him if they so desire. Not Jackson, but Fuller, if that's where they wanted to go. To me, I think Fuller and Jackson are different corners. So when they're both in the field, one is better in man. I think the other seems to be better in zone. St. Juice, I think, is a little bit more of a mix and more adaptable. For Jackson, he has to improve by getting more comfortable in their defensive scheme. Will that happen? Don't know. That means having more awareness in zone coverage, being better in the man technique they wanted to use, developing more patient feet. Watch him at the line of scrimmage and watch his feet. For example, got beat on one play where he actually recovered, but he did get beat because of his feet at the line, impatient, opens his hips too soon, gets out of position. It was an incompletion, but the ball was a little bit long. I did like how he recovered, but it didn't like how he handled at the line of scrimmage. So that's something to watch for him. How does he handle that? Because I think he can get better. So, you know, they could also draft a free safety or sign another low-end vet, but not spend a ton of money on a free safety unless it's a Sean Taylor type. Not many guys like that around. I just don't think you get your return on the dollar for that. And the other way you can help them improve is by getting more consistency from that front seven. Burgundy Bob wants to know, will the Scott Turner experiment end after this season? Um, I'd like, and he wants to know about the run game, doesn't think he runs the ball enough. And I'd like to see them run the ball more as well. I thought against Kansas City, they would have done that. And I think others on that offense probably, I, I would say, feel the same way. I'd like to see them take some of the pressure off of Taylor Heineke, um, but it's hard for me to see them making any sort of change for a couple of reasons. 
One, there's the Turner connection. It goes back to his dad with Ron Rivera, to, to Turner's dad with Ron Rivera. But also, look at the quarterbacks that Turner's had to work with here. Not a single one would be considered a top half of the league guy. Heck, I don't think any of them would be in the top 25 or 26, maybe even lower than that. And what I know about this offense is it needs big receivers on the outside. They did not hit on Gandy Golden, and Cam Sims is hurt. Like you, I need to see more from Turner and what he's really capable of doing. I, where I've been disappointed in the offense in general is that they haven't developed an identity. What is it that they do best? And I'd like to see, like we talked earlier, more of the run game. But this is why I wouldn't hold my breath on a change. Ed wants to know, the top three quarterbacks in the 2022 draft are comparable to or smaller than Heineke in height and weight. No competent vet QB would come here after the season. Fitzpatrick, Heineke, Allen, likely the pair for 22. Would you agree? Well, first of all, ignore the height and weight. It's about the talent. Would you say no to Kyler Murray or Drew Brees when he was playing? Well, of course not. They're the same size or smaller. It's about the talent. That said, as of now, it's not considered a deep class for the draft. And some I've talked to are already speculating this could be like the draft where E.J. Manuel was the first quarterback drafted at 16. The good news is that perhaps Washington does not have to be that bad to get one. The bad news is, will they want, will they like one? And you, I don't know what they think about him right now. It's too early to answer that. But I don't see the same trio back if the season doesn't turn around. That would be a tough sell to anyone, the fans or the owner. Now, if Fitzpatrick comes back in, has a good final month, then I can certainly see the first two back. But I do think they'd look for something else in the offseason, whether it's a trade or whether it's somebody in the draft, um, because they're going to need more. And we know that. Z Hyde wants to know. And this, I like this question. Heard a lot from beat reporters during the preseason how good Landon Collins looked. Any insight as to why that hasn't translated to the regular season for him? Again, good question. I mentioned this on an earlier podcast. I think I touched on it. But this stuff gets lost in the shuffle at times. Yes, he did look good when he was driving on the ball, et cetera. I don't think he looks slow on the field now. But the hard part in practice is what we don't know. Is he doing his job? Is he in the right spot? Is he seeing things the right way? Also, smart players get used to seeing the same stuff over and over again and react accordingly in practice. This is why I'm a huge advocate for joint practices. I'll go back to Robert Griffin III in 2015. The first week of camp, he looked pretty good. We wrote that. I wrote that. I talked to people there who said that. Now, I think they're bluffing to, to a degree, but even people I trust really well thought he looked better. But then Houston comes to town a week or so later for a joint practice, and he doesn't look good, and you realize it's not going to change. Well, he knew what was coming with the defense, or at least certainly was used to it. So it makes you, it may, allows you to play a different way. And I would say that for any player. If you're not going to play your starters a lot in the preseason, you need to find a way to learn more about them and that's by practicing against another team. This past summer, I've been told that the COVID situation made it difficult or was a factor in not really pursuing or scheduling one. I do think they'll look harder at it again for this summer. Finally, one issue Collins has had is some missed tackles. We don't see them. They're not going to, most teams don't have live tackling practice anymore because of CBA. Some of the coverage issues have existed with him forever. So that's not new. Um, but we saw that you look at the one that he gave up the other day. That was as a linebacker coverage, by the way. Um, what we saw mostly in camp was a guy driving well on the ball from very zone coverages. And for a guy coming off an Achilles injury, that certainly was a good sign. But again, so much we don't know about what's going on in practice and what we're seeing versus what we're not seeing. One more thing. And I hear from a lot of people saying to him that they should bench him. But the last few games, he's played almost exclusively in the box. And again, they want to bench him as a safety. But he's playing the box with an exception here and there. 
one glaring exception against the Saints, but that was a caught napping versus um, just being getting destroyed. So he's in essence become a linebacker in their nickel, nickel package. There's really no other safety who fills that role. The other guy they hope could become that guy or like that is Kalik Hudson. And he'll play there when it's a short yard situation as a linebacker slash safety versus a safety slash linebacker. And Hudson's coverage skills are not, we're not that strong in the preseason. I don't know what Derek Forrest can do. We haven't seen him. Um, but right now, I think Collins is the one guy that they feel could fill three different roles on that defense is um, a strong safety as a big nickel and as a linebacker. And he made some solid plays Sunday, gave up a couple and missed a tackle. We all saw it. But I also saw plays where he took a play away, took a screen pass away because of his coverage on the next play, took another, took a run away with by aggressively filling a gap um, and made a tackle on a third down stop. So I, you, I've got to see everything. I can't just go on a narrative and I can't just go on a couple of plays. But you can't just say bench him because you have to have a better alternative for the role he's in. Got Again, beat on that play on the first half, and it was as a linebacker, not as a safety. And I don't think the value has been there for the money. I'm not talking about the contract. I'm just talking about if you made a change, what do you do? And again, I think going back to Z Hyde, the question about what we saw in the camp versus the season, I think it's why that you have to take things in camp with a grain of salt um, and portray them that way. And so hopefully I do that. Sometimes probably I do not. So if I misled you completely, but all I know is he drove in the ball well, and it was a good sign for a guy coming off Achilles. There you go. Big John 1906 wants to know, what's the disconnect on the D-line? Is it that they don't like trust the scheme, or is it not a match for their talent? Coaching, is it Mills technique or Del Rio's philosophy? But James Ogletree also had questions about the line, and, and, and so here we go. I think, I think the line's been doing a better job the last couple weeks. They sacked Jameis Winston a couple times, more than what he had been sacked in the game for that season. Sacked Mahomes three times. That's a season high for Mahomes. Mostly did a solid job against the run, but the Chiefs' run game is primarily designed to give Mahomes a breather. They were good against the Saints' run game, too. The one that got um, that the touchdown by Kamara was on Cole Holcomb, not the line. That said, I know there are different ways they're asked to use their hands, for example. Some feel it runs counter to how they've successfully used them in the past. This is a group that lay, that loved Jim Tom Sula. So they've been slow to adapt and to embrace. Um, and I think it probably goes beyond that, but that's what I know for, right? you know, whatever. I've heard other times it's about maybe how the ends are asked to play certain runs. Um, maybe they feel like it, it, it makes it harder on them to fill certain gaps. Um, I don't know how deep that is as far as there are any dissatisfaction or, or an issue. I, I think they've, like I said, I think they've actually been playing better. On Sunday, there were a couple of rush lanes that broke down. And I don't think it was about being sack hungry too And these some of these on Sunday. But on Sunday, there were a couple of rush lanes that broke down, leading to Mahomes, running through them and using his legs to pick up a first down or to extend a play for a big game. On the first one where he picked up a third, and I think it was seven, they used an overload on the other side, got one-on-ones. But that left a big gap to Mahomes' left on Washington's right side. I think the tackle was Tim Settle, looked like he was doubled. I don't know if he's supposed to close it more or not. I don't know. But the end, who was Montez Sweat, did get a little bit wide. So the combo of that led to a big breakdown in the rush. On the other one, 
there was a huge on that last drive in the fourth quarter. It was like a third down, I think, in five from their own 10 or something like that. Ionitis rushes on the same side as Montez Sweat. Ionitis gets caught against the guard. His head goes down. It gets kind of, I don't know if he stumbles or whatever, but his head's down. The guard then kind of takes his pads and shoves him to the ground. So Ionitis completely lost vision. So he, so Mahomes sees this and just squeezes through that, that side. Sweat came around the end, lost balance, also gets to the ground, but his rust depth appeared to be okay. I think if Ionitis had been able to with, rush as he normally does, then they stop Mahomes there. An unfortunate play, but I didn't think it was a function of scheme or how they're asked to do things. Just an unfortunate play. I hope that helps. Eric Pope wants to know, what did the coaches see in Jackson in order to sign him? They saw a good man corner with excellent length and a chance to diversify their defense. I know folks in Cincinnati who really liked him, but the book on him was this, not his own corner. Washington could play more man, though they're right now, in terms of times played in man, they're, they're in the top 10. Um, I think it's like 100, almost 120 times. Dallas is first at about 160 sometimes. Jackson has looked uncomfortable in zone, no doubt. He had a play Sunday in the last minute of the first half where a 27-yard pass was completed on his side in a cover two look because he did not sink deep enough with a man in front of him. DB coaches will tell you, if there's someone in front, there's someone behind. Is that just experience playing more zone instincts? But others did like him in man, and while there was some debate as to how good he was from folks I talked to in the league, mostly considered, at worst, a solid number two corner. The money was a bit high, but I think that stemmed from them losing Darby and wanting to make sure they got something done. And I do think every pretty much anybody I talked to felt like Jackson was a better corner than Darby. And they are facing better quarter, quarterbacks this year than what they faced last year. So that, you know, I, I'll keep that in mind. They're called, you know, for whatever. But I, I so anyways, but that's what they saw. And I still think he can get better, um, but he has to get better. All right. Um, HTTR802. Two more here, folks. Does Snyder realize the apathy that is set into this once rabid fan base? Either he doesn't care or is out of touch with reality. All right. A lot of frustration, and I get that. I'm glad you asked it. I don't know what Dan Snyder knows or thinks. I do know that others high, high, high up in the organization, especially after last week, know how much work there is to do to fix this, the relationship with the fan base. They understand it's about trust. I've had those conversations. I think the uproar over last week and the Sean Taylor fiasco surprised them. I don't think that's a bad thing if they now realize the work that must be done and how they must approach winning back this fan base. One issue, is, and I think and I've told them, I think it's going to take more than winning. One issue is that they have a lot of new people from the outside, the outside the organization, and they've let go a lot of people that might have known, but whom they did not want around anymore. I will tell you this. Several years ago, I wrote a column explaining why fans were starting to tune them out and not go to games. I focused on a couple of things, including how every time there was hope, it was quickly gone. Doesn't matter what, what I, it doesn't matter the examples I gave, but the point was about the erosion of the fan base. It wasn't good. The point was there, there was an erosion. Bruce Allen did not like that column. I was called into his office where he wanted to basically chew me out. I told him, you need to listen to me. You're losing fans. He disagreed. He pointed to a win over, I told him people were unhappy. He pointed to a win over Arizona a couple of days earlier and said, those fans looked happy. Well, no, no crap. I mean, they were at the game that they just won. It's what you, that's what you guys were dealing with. I told him again, I'm telling you, this is what I hear from fans. He didn't listen. Called the PR guy, Tony Wiley, later, Tony Wiley later and told him, Tony, I'm right on this. You guys need to listen to me. They didn't really want to hear it. A year later, they drew 55,000 or so to the opener against the Colts. I was told by Tony Wiley at that time, you're right. 
But the higher ups, that was the end of quote, but the higher ups, I don't, they just didn't see it. Now, I think Rivera and Jason Wright do see it. Whether Snyder does or not, I really don't know. Finally, what's going on with Jamie Davis? This is from Skins Weekly. Do we know why he isn't seeing this field very much? Slow to pick stuff up or what? Well, for now, it's very game plan specific. Last week, because it was more coverage-based, he played, I think it was like 44 snaps or about 56% of the snaps, according to Next Gen Stats. His run D is not as consistent. That's why he's not on the field more against the Saints. There was a heavy run defense look, and they use one linebacker a lot of the times, one true linebacker. Sometimes Davis attacks downhill, and other times he does not. I saw the mix against um, the Chiefs at times. So that's still kind of an issue. It was kind of like that in college, to be honest. But I do think he's improving. I do think he's looking better. And I really liked what I saw from him in coverage last week. I really liked what I saw from him in coverage. The week before, again, it was about the different front. I don't know what this week holds in store because Green Bay can run a lot better than Kansas City did, run the ball a lot better. So I don't know how much he's going to play this week. I do, again, I will stress, I like how he's progressed. I'm certainly not ready to write him off after six games. Wow. Okay. That's a lot of mail. Back is hurting from carrying all that. And I hope I've been able to cure some of the problems. I don't think I have. I'm not solving problems. I'm really just trying to answer some of the questions that you guys have. So thanks to everybody who submitted questions and thank you for tuning in. Trying to shine a light, trying, just trying to shine a, shine a light on what's going wrong and what, if anything, might be worth building on or good. I'll be back with another episode Friday, taking a look at the Green Bay Packers, but also getting an outside perspective on all things Washington as well. I'll talk to you next time.